This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the podcast where the deep state probably just means politicians are having anal sex. I'm your co-host, Alice Vaughn, and I have my lovely co-host, Yvette Dontremont, with me today. How are you doing, Yvette? I could be better, could be worse. It's a Thursday afternoon that we're recording, and we're joined by... Do do you want to introduce our guest today, or do you want me to introduce... I'll introduce our guest because... I'm so excited about her. I have an amazing bio, and I am so psyched for her. Right? Our our audience is going to love her, and if they don't, they have to get the fuck out. So... (laughs) No question about it. Um, so we'll make them love me. Oh, Wednesday, you're the best already. So uh, we have on the show today, we have a special treat. We have Wednesday Martin. So Wednesday, uh, for those of you who've never heard of before, she's a writer and social researcher for the last two decades. She's written on the topics of gender, parenting, motherhood, pop culture, and female sexuality. For everyone from the New York Times, Atlantic, Daily Beast, uh, hell, she's been everywhere. NPR, NBC News, CNN, and she happens to be a number one New York Times bestseller for her book, Primates of Park Ave. And she just released a new book. And I would not be surprised if she hit the bestseller list again with her new book, Untrue, Why Everything We Believe About Women, Lust and Infidelity is Wrong and How the New Science Can Set Us Free. Wednesday, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you, too. We are so happy to have you. And as we found out from chatting before we started recording, Wednesday is as sweary as we are. And we love our sweary women. Super sweary. So you've been warned. <laughs> it's, it's, don't, don't worry. Our audience is here for it. They they started to get to know me as the scientist who says fuck a lot. So uh, it's all on the table. That's reasonable and fair. Yeah. I'm an adult who makes offensive crayons. So I just so we're all pretty fucked up over here. So don't worry, you're in good company. My favorite still miscarriage maroon. I was going to say, I feel like I'm at the world's sickest cocktail (laughs) party and I feel comfortable. Yeah. I was about to say, which hmm, it's, are we pouring back Cosmopolitans or are those passe now? It's something, something I think we're more bourbon, uh, neat people. Okay. (laughs) I'm a whiskey drinker. Bourbon's my jam. It's just, it's the only thing I still drink. Once in a while. Anyways, let's get back. Uh, let's get back to you Wednesday. So uh, tell us a little bit about what inspired your new book, Untrue. I'm a feminist. So I've spent the last years always looking at women's lives through the lens, usually of anthropology and sometimes primatology. And I just always like to bring social research to bear on women who are kind of controversial, who get people upset. Um, So after I had written about stepmothers, and then I wrote about rich moms on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, it really seemed important to think about women who, quote, cheat, unquote, Um, women we used to call adulteresses, (gasps) women who refuse monogamy because they just make everybody so upset. And so I wanted to use social science to figure out why these women piss us off so much and what that can tell us about ourselves. And I wanted to know what women who cheat or refuse monogamy can tell us about the backstory of human female sexuality. So here we are. Yeah, I'm already 90% done with the audiobook. I can't wait to dig into this conversation, but I feel like society has almost spoon fed for most women this narrative of 
being demure and I mean, for most people wanting to be in long term monogamous relationships and that's what's going to make us all ultimately fulfilled and happy. And yet people cheat. And, you know, it's not only men that cheat, but, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the beginning of your book, you begin by saying that, you know, we have some studies regarding cheating. They're kind of all over the place just because they're so self-reported. Yeah. And with self-reporting, yeah. it's always a little bit harder, especially when yeah. you have a group of people where it's harder to find people who are willing to openly admit to such a thing. Right. So you'll have people. I mean, I think in one study it was 15 to 35 percent will cheat. And then there were others that were as high as six. Right. Which is crazy. Yeah. When we look at representative statistical samples, the GSH, which stands for the General Social Survey, which is this social survey that's done in the U.S. It's about 1,500 people. It's done every two years. And that usually comes in that women are cheating. Uh, Again, I hate that term. But that women are um, doing that. Stepping out. finding extracurricular pleasure. Yeah, they're having simultaneous partnerships while married or in long-term serious relationships, 13% of them. However, there is one oft-cited source that says that 50% of women in one sample said that they had had sex with somebody other than their husband while married. So they're focusing on heterosexual women, and it's this range between 13% up to 50%. We have to guess that the truth lies somewhere between. You're right. It's a stigmatized behavior. It's doubly stigmatized for women. I like to say that women who cheat are like double renegades. They're violating the social script about how monogamy is the best thing. And then they're violating the gender script that says that women have an easier time with monogamy, much more easy than men do. So in any event, what we do know is that female infidelity is real and it's happening. And the surprising thing to me when I started to dig in with it was all the untrue things that we have been taught about female sexual fidelity and female sexuality just started to just kind of crumble in the face of the research being done by these new female social scientists. So it was really enlightening. But one of the biggest myths um, is that men cheat more than women do and, and that men are wired for promiscuity in ways that women aren't. One thing that I can tell you statistically is that men and women cheat at equal rates across the board up until the they're in their mid-40s, according to studies done in the 90s and then in the aughts. And the other really interesting statistic is that ever-married women between 18 and 29 are cheating more than their male peers. So they're outpacing wow. men hmm. that age in infidelity. I like to say that my suspicion is that they're just being honest about it and that women might barely outpace men in infidelity across a range of ages. Interesting. And, you know, there's this there's this common misconception and you address in your book that predominantly men cheat in society because they want to have sex and women cheat in relationships because we're emotional and we're lacking something from the relationship. But that's not always the case. It's almost like women are horny. That's not always the case. It's almost like women are horny. And it's, it's almost like we have like, our own agency. Yeah, it's almost like we have agency. And it's almost like we had to have female social scientists mm-hmm. get in there and care about the issue enough to do the studies and collect the data that tells us 
the truth about female motivation. So here are some of the things that we've discovered. Over a third of all women in one study uh, who were having extracurriculars described their marriages as happy or very happy. Huh. Now, hmm. there goes, yeah, there goes this idea that women are only having extra pair involvements if they're really unhappy with their partners. Happy women are stepping out. Another really interesting thing that came out of this research is motivation in terms of breaking it down to more than happiness or unhappiness. So we know that men and women are equally likely to cheat even if they report high relationship satisfaction in their primary relationship. But lo and behold, a sociologist named Alicia Walker at Missouri State University studied a group of women and she realized that they were in sexless marriages, Hmm. but they were otherwise very happy with their marriages. And these women were cheating purely for sex. They were stepping out as a workaround strategy to get the one thing that they weren't getting in their otherwise satisfying marriages. And that really shows us that female sexual behavior can be really strategic. It can be really pragmatic. And it can be really selfish and pleasure-centered. And that's what those women were doing. And we need new science communication that reflects that reality. But it's not happening because that reality is challenging these deeply held beliefs that women cheat for emotional reasons. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Same thing with men. There's no big gender difference in motivations for extra pair sexual involvement. Yeah, it's, this reminds me of things that I hear a lot on uh, on Dan Savage's podcast, the Savage Love Cast, where you know a lot of people will cheat to you know it's the one thing that they're not getting because the relationship has turned into a companionate marriage where everything is great, they co-parent well, they live together, they roommate well, and then there's the sex that's just gone away, and you do what you have to to right. stay married and keep that home life that's good. But you know, sex is kind of a basic human need that we don't uh, we don't like to address all the time, especially in for women. Especially not for women. We're really not comfortable. I realize that one of the reasons we hate women who refuse monogamy is that they feel entitled to sex a lot of times and they feel entitled to pleasure and they also feel entitled to sexual adventure. You know, I spoke to 30 women between the ages of 20 and 93. Well, the 93-year-olds had never committed infidelity, but the rest of the women had or had thought about it very seriously. And the thing about all these women is that they were very interesting because they wanted adventure and they sought it. And they might have pathologized themselves afterwards and said, I don't know why I did this. I guess I'm a bad person or I'm unnatural. You know, a lot of women would say, you don't want to talk to me. I'm really weird. I'm really unusual because I have a strong Mm. libido. I know. So it makes me sad. What what happened? It's unfortunate. I know. What happened again and again, though, is that we can judge women who refuse monogamy. But one of the truths that I stumbled on is that, you know, they're quite brave and they feel entitled to adventure in ways that might be very instructive for the rest of us. And yes, I mean, it is really counterintuitive for people that a woman who is not getting the sex that she wants in marriage will rather than divorce or rather than go without sex, she'll seek another solution. But plenty of women do. Actually, so one thing you brought up in your book is that, and I found really, really interesting, especially considering I feel that we've been continuously going through different stages of sexual revolutions throughout the years, is that we happen to be right now less tolerant of infidelity 
than maybe previous generations. I know in your book, you mentioned yeah. um, in 1971, when polled, half of people would say it's wrong back then. But then in 2013, in a poll in Gallup, 91% of people said infidelity is wrong, wow. which is insane. Right. We've done this huge flip in which going back to those statistics that you cited, you know, you're right. There was this big shift. Now, back then, when people were more tolerant of infidelity, they were less tolerant of divorce. So we've oh. done this big flip in our culture in which that makes sense. It's, yeah, it's OK hmm. to get a divorce, but it's not OK to cheat on your spouse. Now, back then, the thing was, it's OK to have an extra parent involvement, but divorce is really, really bad. Don't you dare be happy. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So we're, we're living in this cultural moment that's very reactionary. And I think we see it with the reaction against Me Too. We see it with the president that people elected. We see it with what's happening with our Supreme Court nominee. Yep. And we see it in this attitude uh, partic- about infidelity and particularly about female infidelity. I mean, I like to say that female infidelity is something that really puts the push on people in terms of how do you actually feel about female autonomy? A lot of people will say, of course, I believe in gender equality. I believe that women should earn equal pay. I believe that women should run for and serve in political office. But it's really interesting how the one form of female autonomy that really sets us off uh, in this country in particular is female sexual autonomy. You know, I can't think of anything more basic than autonomy, meaning that you do with your body what you want. And yet I can't think of anything more radical uh, than a woman who's married or in a long-term relationship saying, just because I'm married to you or in a long-term relationship with you doesn't mean that I'm not going to seek sexual pleasure other places as well and seek adventure other places as well. So I really love a female infidelity as a test case, as sort of a metric for how we feel about gender equality, because really, historically, infidelity has been a male privilege. How do we feel about women who seize that particular male privilege? We do not like it. Yeah, we definitely don't. As I was just going to say, so yeah, as a society, we're a lot more comfortable with the idea of a woman, you know, regretting and feeling guilty after having an affair than not. Right. And, you know, women are often considered damaged goods if they cheat and get divorced. I mean, you we want women to feel guilty after they had sex with anyone that they consented to that they're in a relationship. If they have too many of those relationships, never mind if they cheat. Right. Oh, yeah. If you have way too many relationships. Whoa. What's going on there? It's, if you. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a numbers game for sure. Yep. And, you know, one of the things that I said I wanted to do with this book to myself as I was writing it was I just wanted to give women permission not to step out. Some women want to remain monogamous. They want to find a way to do that. And monogamy works for them. But I really did want to somehow write a book that would give women permission to feel less weird about their sexual desires. It turns out that it's not normal uh, or, quote, natural, quote, monogamy is not easier for women. Um, Marta Mian is a sex researcher whose studies with women experiencing low desire revealed that it's women whose libidos really get killed by monogamy more than men. So I wanted to really normalize for women what they were going through. I wanted to take this research and kind of put it 
all in one place and show women, if you're struggling with not feeling excited by monogamy after a couple of years, you're part of the silent majority and you don't need to feel bad about yourself. There are ways to address this situation, but the first step is to know that there's nothing unusual about it. I'm just looking forward to the day when we can say, based on the data and the science, oh, you know, she's really having a hard time with monogamy because, you know, that's just how women are. And what's very frustrating is I feel that even with the current generation, you don't have too many women who are confidently saying, no, I have a high sex drive. You know, in your book, you begin by discussing that you speak to so many women who feel as if they're the outlier, but we're just not outwardly expressing it because society kind of puts us on as being these delicate, demure little things. Demure. And, you know, this is where it's so powerful that we have women entering the field of sex research. You know, we have Lori Brado and Meredith Chivers in Canada. We have Martimiana. We have um, Sophia Jawad Wassell in Nebraska. We have all these amazing women entering sex research. And look what happens when they do. A female sex researcher comes up with this new metric. She says, why do we keep saying men have stronger libidos? Let's look at how we're measuring libido. And she she sees, oh, the guys keep measuring as having higher libidos, but something about this isn't right. She says, what if there are different desire styles? She's her name is Rosemary Basson, and she comes up with different desire styles. One is spontaneous desire. You're just sitting there and suddenly you want to have sex. Now, when that's the only desire style we measure. Men do seem to have stronger libidos. They do seem to have stronger desire. But Rosemary Basson realized there is this other desire style. It's called triggered or responsive desire. And that's when you're sitting there and maybe somebody touches your arm or you see a sexy movie or you, you know, somebody gives you a lustful glance. And then suddenly you're really into the idea of having sex. But it the tingles happen. Yeah, it needed to be (laughs) triggered. Yeah, when we measure triggered or responsive desire, women's sex drives, if we want to call them that, or libidos are every bit as strong as men's. Okay, so look at that. Just one little instructive example of how when we got female scientists and social scientists on the case, we realized the truth about female sexuality. Now we just, our feelings and beliefs have to catch up with this new data that is out there. And what I love is your book approaches this from so many different standpoints. Anthropologically, you utilize evolutionary biology, primatology. You back so much goddamn research into this book. It's fantastic. I, you know, listening to the audiobook, I just have to get the hard copy just so I can start referencing and looking through into all of this different research. I mean, I was even fascinated when, I don't know if this was a researcher you just mentioned, but there was a researcher who, in order to measure libido, she attached stimulants to, um, to I believe it was the labia. Yeah. Uh, so that way she could measure blood flow when men and yeah. women. I'm in a little pain thinking about that. Yeah. Do you want me to tell you about her? <laughs> yeah. She's yes, awesome. Definitely. She's awesome. She's a rock star and a badass. Her name is Meredith Chivers. I did mention her. She teaches at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, where she has her own lab. And what she does is 
She has people sit in basically a lazy boy chair and she has them hook themselves. They do it themselves, which is really important that they're participants rather than study subjects. Nice. They hook themselves up with this thing called a pl- I rather have that as opposed to maybe a college student who doesn't know what he's doing. Exactly. A little, um, what, what, what do you call those interns? Is this the clitoris, ma'am? Yeah, is this the clitoris? <laughs> the the first I? true test of where is the it's clitoris? It's my first one seeing one of these. Am I doing this right? And does it feel good? No. We're just going to let women... <laughs> Women and men do it to themselves. So the deal is that Meredith Chivers had groups of people and individuals hook themselves up to this plebismograph, something I always oh, wow. mispronounce and probably just did. Straight women, <laughs> uh, women who identified as lesbians, straight men, and men who identified as gay. And they hooked themselves up. And then they viewed pornography. And Dr. Chivers was interested to see whose bodies responded to what. Um, so the heterosexual men's bodies responded pretty much as you might predict. Their bodies responded to the pornography that featured women having sex with each other and men having sex with women. Uh, they did get some blood flow going, some of them, when they saw men having sex with men. But I think I remember this research. Overwhelmingly, they had what we might think of as category-specific desires, the straight men. Their bodies, rather, responded to what you would think their bodies would respond to, what you would predict based on their sexual orientation. The same thing with the lesbians and uh, the same thing with gay men. They were attracted, you know, to the images that you would think based on the way they identified sexually um, and their sexual preferences. Okay, so cut to now the heterosexual women. What did their bodies respond to? Well, their bodies respond to images of women having sex with men, visuals of men having sex with men, of women having sex with women, of group sex, of just an erect penis, of oral sex <laughs> between women, oral sex between men. And then I like to think that the researchers got a little bit punchy and they said, what would happen if we showed them animals having sex? And they showed the heterosexual women bonobos having sex. And sure enough, the heterosexual women's bodies responded to that too. Wow. So what Meredith Chivers and her colleagues took from all this is that while most people have category-specific desires, you know, most orientations have category-specific desire, most people in most orientations. Heterosexual women have what we might think of as category-busting desires. Their orientations do not provide the last word on what gets their body going, and they just have a really wide sexual menu And I like to joke that this research pretty much proves that in the aggregate, straight women are super freaks, sexually speaking. (laughs) There's so much that are so much sexual stimuli that our bodies respond to. And, you know, this really is a fascinating, wonderful finding for a lot of reasons. But most obviously, it really upends this concept that we have that straight men are the sexually adventurous ones or straight men are the ones who pine, at least in their minds, for adventure and variety and novelty. What we're seeing is that it seems that straight women with their much wider menu, you know, are into variety and novelty and adventure in their minds, at least as much as men are. 
It's, I'm just saying, guys, if you can't turn a woman on, try touching her. <laughs> it seems like the science backs this up. Show her a picture of a dick. This seems to work. And you know, we're on a mission. We're on a mission to make women feel less weird about their desires. Do you know what Meredith Chivers said to me that was so great and really made me laugh? Tell me. Let's hear it. She said, she, the woman who showed the world just how wide the sexual menus of women are said to me, women come up to me and they say, you know, I thought I was straight for so long, but I'm really in love with the woman. And I say, uh-huh. And then another woman will say, you know, you can't believe how weird the pornography is that I like. And she says, uh-huh. And then they say, you know, I like sex four times a day and then I like sex zero times a day. And she says, uh-huh. And they say, aren't I terribly unusual? <laughs> and she says, no, you're just another woman. You're just a normal woman. That's amazing. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I love it. I love that, you know, these new female sex researchers, some of them not so new. Some of them have been putting this new data out there for a long time. But I love the idea that Me Too is going to open up the space for us to think about female-centered pleasure and desire and, you know, We've said what women don't want. We've said what we won't tolerate. Now, listen to us tell you exactly what we want. Oh, yes. In the bedroom. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And there's a converse to this is that we think of women as having the low libidos. Not all men have a high one. We don't need to put that pressure on them that they're always supposed to be horny. Yeah. Why, why do we do that? I mean, this, this rigid ideology... It came from bad science. I like to say that bad science got us here. I feel that bad science got us to me too. I feel bad science brought us to Brett Kavanaugh oh. because it all acted mm. as a justification that men are somehow naturally sexually aggressive. Men are somehow naturally sexual predators. That's just bad science. The data yeah. shows us. You're referring to Bateman's principle. Yeah. That that's just bad science showing us that men are, you know, are, are more sexually assertive and aggressive because of they have a lot of sperm. It's just it's bad science and it's provided justification and cover for bad behavior for way too long. I mean, men have far more sperm than I do, at least. I mean, I have some in my stomach still, probably, but. Right. Probably. Probably you have some <laughs> and you should try and we want you to treasure that. Oh, yes. But <laughs> so little in my hair, but, you know. So for our audience who is unaware of Bateman's principle, I should probably elaborate because that way they could understand where this bad science may have actually originated. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, awesome. So in 1948, Augustus Bateman, he published a paper on fruit flies that tested Darwin's idea of sexual selection. But this was based on one fruit fly study. And he concluded that because the males were more able to produce, you know, millions of small sperm, men were more likely to behave promiscuously, you know, mating with as many females as possible. And on the other hand, because females, they re produce relatively fewer, larger, and presumably more expensive eggs, females are more likely to be very discriminating and selecting in only one high-quality sexual partner. I think everybody, you know, everything I just said sounds super familiar to how we're applying it in society or how we think it that is. That is you know? how we um, think it is, but, yeah. <laughs> But the problem is that in the last 60 years, his principles, so the problem is that it's been kind of uh, socially kind of been considered unquestionable yes. truth in the evolutionary community even, and sometimes even taught a scientific fact. But the problem is 
It's not a general rule in nature. We know actually that the original study was fundamentally flawed, and we find that in species after species, rampant promiscuity is the rule. It's not the exception. We all like fucking. And frankly, females benefit from it. They do, but so what we find and what Bateman told us that only males benefited from mating multiply. Only those male fruit flies improved the reproductive sex success, he said, by mating multiply. He said, when the females mated multiply, it did nothing for the reproductive success. So, yeah, exactly. Now, then people extrapolated, well, that then that's normal for males and females of all species, including humans. It just makes no sense for females to mate multiply because they can only get pregnant once. But it makes sense for guys to mate multiply. They can spread their sperm. Fast forward all these years later, we see what non-human female primates do and we see what female human beings do. We do mate multiply and a lot of anthropologists and primatologists have shown how it benefits females of many species, including humans, to have multiple male partners or multiple partners. It's just, it's also context dependent and untrue. I talk about how the himba in Namibia, you know, um, benefit from having multiple partners Hmm. and how women in certain contexts in the U.S. benefit from having multiple partners. It can help us. We can have more um, social support if we have multiple partners. We get better, more high quality sperm. Lots of things are really benefit us. We get options. We get options. So it was just so bogus that for so many years, the notion that prevailed was that it was unnatural for women to mate, quote, promiscuously, unquote, but it was natural for males to. Women have taken the piss out of that argument over the last several decades. And I'm happy to cross that science over like some other people are trying to do. And we're so happy that you've been part of that. I'm sure you're getting pushback about the subjects in your book. And it's just wonderful to have more women like you out there really pushing not a narrative, but what seems to be scientific truth against a longstanding narrative. It's wonderful. Now, I know you have to take off. We're going to have you back on this show soon. Where can people find you? I can't wait to be back. Oh, yeah. The only scratched the surface. We only scratched the surface. So on Instagram, I'm at Wednesday Martin PhD. On Twitter, I'm at Wednesday Martin, although not all the time, because I think Twitter is a really rotten ecology for women. Sometimes there's a lot of dumpster fire. Yeah, there's a lot of bullying of women and a lot of bad behavior. And then, of course, I'm on Facebook and you can buy Untrue on Amazon or from your local indie bookseller. (laughs) It's Wednesday's new book is Untrue. We're loving the hell out of it. You guys go check it out. We're going to have her back on as soon as we possibly can bend her ear in here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. You've been amazing. It was great talking to you. Keep up the good work. Keep on, sisters. Thank you, too. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Wasn't she fantastic, guys? We have to have her back on ASAP. Like there's there is so much in her book that we have to do. There is so much we just even start skimming the surface on. I mean, gosh, I I just I love that she comes at this from a science based perspective. It's not just, hey, this is what I think. This is, you know, some guy in a random street corner who's conducting these experiments or their random polls. No, there's actual hard science and data. She takes a look at this from so many different perspectives. This is, I mean, I just couldn't get enough of this book. So, oh, yeah. And I think women who have struggled with the fact that, you know, they have a high libido or, you know, they enjoy porn and girls aren't supposed to like porn. Well, obviously, this is what? not the case. Women like videos of people having 
sex. Oh my God. Like this, these are things that are just patently untrue. You ladies out there, you know, you talk in depth about sex with your girlfriend and women or, or with your girlfriends and women. We talk about sex so much more uh filthily with our girlfriends than men do. Oh, we're horrible. We're awful people. Like I have talked about, like when men hear about how women talk about sex, like we talk down to squinchy little things with our girlfriends. Men don't do that. We get men to blush. Yeah. And that's common. And it, it still is this long-standing idea societally that we don't like sex or that we're not as horny. And it's like, you know, why do we, and I think this contributes to the idea that men have to hunt for the sex and talk you into, you know what, if a woman likes you, if she is attracted to your body, your personality, she'll fuck you. Okay. You do not have to force that. You know, one thing that I kind of hate and I love that it's starting to change is yeah. that the with the rise of apps like Bumble where women have to make oh, the yeah. first move. I grew up in a home where it was kind of frowned down upon of, "Oh, you're going to text him first? Yeah, of course I am because I'm interested. That's not ladylike. I'm sorry. Women, if you want something, go get it. Men, if you want something, go get it. Both of you yeah. act with consent and make sure the person you're going after, you're not being a fucking creep. But other than that, you oh, know, yeah. that applies to women, too. I, I had an aunt tell me once, well, Yvette, maybe if you curbed your personality, I'm like, that's no. not OK. That's not going to get a guy in. And it's like, you you know, you have to be genuine, but like, you know, go out and yes. be yourself and hunt for the for the person and it's okay for women to pursue and it's okay for you to want sex i mean men don't you want a woman who is enthusiastic about your cock this is a good thing for all of us i think the men listening to this podcast are like yes where do we find these women it's like everywhere these women are everywhere everywhere they're they're all women it's just well a lot of women we have to stop number one women have to stop shaming other women like if you if you all realize you all like sex you can all stop being like girls no more liking the sex and guys you want women to like sex this works out for you. Another thing is, you know, we talked about for a brief moment of not all men are horny all the time. It's like, yeah, there are men who just some men have sex drives of wanting to have it once or twice a week. There's women who want it once or twice a week. There's men who want it four times a day. There's women who want it four times a day. It's like we're all humans yeah. and we all have different needs. Yeah. And we're individuals. Exactly. Who knew? I have friends that uh, that have told me, and I mean, this is this is why I say I, we're not going to judge your kinks. We're not going to judge your. We're going to have every type of of porn, you know, that's that's legal with consenting adults, you know, on the podcast because human sexuality is complicated. It's individual. There's no problem with something turning you on that doesn't turn on another person. I have a friend who uh, watching, you know, videos of other people having sex doesn't do a thing for her. Tentacles does. Good for her. But, you know, cartoons of tentacles doesn't hurt anyone. Turns her on. If Good. you want to picture Good. Captain Crunch with his shirt off, stroking it out onto the high seas, mm-mm, fuck it, do mm-mm, it. Mm-mm. I'm not going to stop you. Why oh, did yes. that come into my brain? Who knows? But whatever. I want Captain Crunch and Snap, Crackle and Pop. Oh, baby. All three of the Rice Krispie elves. Um, that's what I call breakfast. Now I'm just thinking about the Keebler elves. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> You know, you know, someone out there has drawn that cartoon or someone who's listening is going to send us that cartoon. Please send us that cartoon info at two girls, one Mike podcast dot com. All I'm saying is, do you understand how much chocolate the Keebler elves have access to? That's all I'm saying. Oh, that is one delicious pile of 
bodies. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, yeah. Oh my god, rub yeah, you. I was just saying, you're horny and hungry now, aren't you? Yeah, little, little bit. Yeah, it's girl. Plug, plug in the vibrator. Do it later. Oh, so I have a <laughs> necklace that's a vibrator. It's an awesome party what? trick. Yes. Folks, we're planning on eventually doing toy reviews on this podcast. So if you have anything that you're like, I saw this online and I'm curious, or it's your favorite thing and you want the world to know because it's helped you or a part, let us know. We want you all to get off. This is a thing we, we want. Do. We want our listeners to not only enjoy listening to our podcast, but also have happy sex lives or know at least how to sufficiently pleasure yourself. Yeah. There are so many websites and resources nowadays for women and men to, you know, learn to find what their kink is and how to get off properly. It's amazing. I love it. And I love how we're going into an era where people are starting to become a lot more comfortable about talking about sex and sex toys. By the way, the necklace I mentioned. So I, I'll. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. OK. Um, so <laughs> so um, I, this is I the am, most happy I'm, I've heard you sound in a long time. <laughs> Tell me about this necklace. Well, so I am not <laughs> sponsored by them, although I feel like eventually yet. yet, yet. We need to send them an email. We should. Actually, fuck it. I will. So, <laughs> you know, I will. But there's oh, this yeah. necklace I bought at the Museum of Sex in New York City. It's by a company called Crave. It looks like a nail because, hint, I'm getting nailed you you told me about that yes it's it's gorgeous it just looks like a beautiful stainless steel nail it looks super high fashion and since i actually work sometimes around people who are creatives and in high fashion it just blends in and looks cool but i was at a party not too long ago actually the other week and it was awesome because after alice had a couple drinks in her i would untwist it and be like hey or actually i wouldn't even untwist it i would ask people i'd say hey by the way i have a vibrator on me can you guess where it is oh man they, and did anyone ever guess no and then eventually i untwisted it and i would push a button and then because of your Just nose is bink. super sensitive you can measure sensitivity of a vibrator by touching it to your huh. nose hint hint I would touch it to their nose and they were they would start Helpful freaking out. They'd be like, oh, my God, I didn't know you were wearing a vibrator around your neck the entire night. I was going to say, and that thing was, was it fairly strong? Was it, I was going to say, would you, settings. would you say it was an effective tool for what it was supposed to do? Yes. Good to know. I have to check this out. Mostly because, I mean, it looked pretty. You sent me a picture of it. I'll, uh, I'll bring it to CSICon with me so you can see and play around with it. Ah. It's gorgeous. Ah. <sighs> but yeah, I love that even we're coming into a society where, hey, I can wear a vibrator around my neck. No one knows or will give a shit. And it's fun. And uh, yeah, it also can help get a girl off. Can, of course, it's yeah, I clean it so it doesn't <laughs> look funky. It's I. I was, I'm sitting here going, I don't think you're going to, I didn't picture you to be the type to be like, it's okay. This has girly liquids on it. That just didn't seem your style. Uh, it's there. I'm sure there are people either masturbating or gagging to what I just said. You're welcome or I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God. Gosh. Oh my God. We have to go. Um, we have to go sex toy shopping together. Yeah, this, this is, is going to be this the is best. A thing we're doing because uh, CS Icon, is, as Alice just mentioned, it's a big old skeptic conference that I'm going to be speaking at. We're going to be recording a few episodes coming up and it's in Vegas. So there are sex shops we're going to. I was uh, I, I was dating someone in Vegas a bunch of years ago. And of course, you know, we go sex toy shopping. There's a picture of us holding up this 
giant butt plug, like one of the ones that you're like, is is that a Ooh. dare or a threat? <laughs> like it's it was, you know, it had to have been at least five inches uh, in diameter. And I'm like, I have to know, <gasps> has is that just a joke or has anyone ever actually put that in? Like if anyone's ever actually used one of those gigantic ones, please write to us at please info write at in. two girls, one mic podcast dot com. I have to know because I haven't even seen one of those. Or even just tweet at yeah, us please. because we need to we, know. I need to, has this ever actually inserted into somebody's cavity Some Like, like I don't care if you, if you put this into your colonoscopy or sorry, not colonoscopy. If you have, if you put this into your, if you put this into a hole anywhere in your body, please tell me. I need to know. This is vital information for my life. Okay. So one thing actually for our listeners, I would love to recommend because this is something that I've done in the past and has been fantastic. If you ever want to spice up your sex life with your partner, I would. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I know you're you're like, what is going on, Alice? So you, we, we're talking in Google Hangouts while we're recording this so we can see each other making uh, <laughs> all these. Yes. Tell me more faces. Um. But what I would highly recommend is set a budget aside, go to a sex shop with your partner and go shopping or, you know, even go go look at the stuff in the store and then buy the stuff online because it's cheaper a lot of the times. But what's really nice is then you could try out new toys. You can um, play around. You you can see what you like, what you don't like. And honestly, I mean, I go to sex shops pretty frequently and, you know, they often come out with things where I'm like, I've never seen that before. But let's try it. Exactly. Like I saw Dick Cage the other day and I was like, I want to know who that's for. And will (laughs) that give me any pleasure as well if he's wearing that? Or it just it was interesting. I mean, you don't know, like, I've been to them before and been like, I don't know what I'm shopping for, but let's find something new because you never know what's going to, like, you know, as Wednesday said, there are going to be, it's normal for libidos to dip, to change over the course of long relationships and doing things together, trying out new things together sexually. They can kind of help perk your libido back up, add some spice into your relationship. Go to sex shops, try out the thing you want to try. If you're in a relationship where you can't try something, you're curious about again That's legal consent good. all that good stuff you need a new relationship or maybe you need extracurricular sex like and and that's the thing a lot of people who are in poly or open things you know, you get something from one partner, something from another. And if it's all consenting, go to the sex shop and get new toys. <laughs> Try everything out. Yeah. <sighs> There's it's as you can tell we're just we're we're yeah, we're we're horny and excited and happy just from talking about all this. Wednesday, you're so invigorating. We love you. Uh, I mean, sex is our favorite topic. It's up there. It's up there with yeah. It's up there with sex. That's about it. It's uh, talking about sex is almost as good as sex. No, it's no, it's one step below. One step. And this was the science of sex, and it's like. It's wonderful that there's now kind of research to back up like what, what a lot of women have kind of always suspected and couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't prove, couldn't put into words, didn't have anything to back it up. And this helps everyone like this isn't, you know, this isn't just like the three outliers going, yay, ladies, you get autonomy over your vagina to enjoy the things it can do for you. And it's great to 
as a society, you know, work towards and, you know, finding out the truth of, well, what's going on with our bodies and, you know, saying, hey, I'm a woman who has a high sex drive or I'm a man and I have a low sex drive. That's fine. That's okay. And I actually, you know, I'll I'll overshare because, you know, we always do. Um, But I'm a woman (laughs) who has a high sex drive. I would consider myself someone who has an increased libido. And, you know, for a while, you know, in Wednesday's book, she mentioned multiple women who said, I don't feel like this is normal. I feel like I'm the exception. I am definitely not the rule. And she said, no, you're just like everyone else. This is nothing new. And it's it's hard when people pathologize female sexuality and there's something wrong with you or you have daddy issues or there, you know, you're the broken one if you like. So- no, you're supposed to. There's like if you believe in God, God made you to like sex like you're you have a clitoris there for a reason. It's it's to use if it. If you don't like sex, you just haven't had the right sex yet. <laughs> Yes, you need a new partner or a Hitachi or something. And it's fine. You're allowed to like it. So let's go back to the topic for a quick second, um, circling back to the topic of infidelity. Yeah. So, you know, it's hmm. so the problem is, I feel like in society we've we really I mean, I understand the social reasons of especially if we have a society that wants to kind of I hate I'm, I hate using this word, but wants to enforce monogamy. Um, yeah. I, I think people want to influence it. I don't know if inform, but yeah, same, same thing. The biggest problem is there's, I know there is a st- social stigma, but you know, it seems like if someone's admitted they've cheated, the perception of that person moving forward is, oh, you yeah. know, skewed by peers, social circles. Um, you know, we have thousands of songs that say, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater. And it's seen oftentimes as the ultimate deal breaker, you know, and I'm sure certain that a number of our listeners are going to cringe at the thought of thinking that we're promoting cheating. People in the society want to move towards people being monogamous. It makes sense to stigmatize the type of behavior that would have a person cheat. There's a number of marriages that break up over infidelity. And this is something that I, I've, I've heard on, I, I, again, I'm going to reference the Savage Lovecast. People try to say, oh, sexual uh, match isn't as big of a deal. I mean, the church for the longest time was like, you can't have sex before marriage, you know, still is like that. But still, people try to say sex isn't that important. And then when we cheat because we're trying to honor our sex drives, we break up over sex. So yeah, sex is that important to us. So we shouldn't downplay what we want and need when we're choosing a life partner. And that's the thing we have to understand and realize that, you know, sex is one part of the relationship. It's a huge part. Yeah. But, you know, ideally, a sustainable relationship is built on more than just good sex. But that said, you know, people do tie in their self-worth to sex and people do have different jealousy factors. So, you know, there's some people that cheating will never be okay. There's other types of partners where people are okay with open relationships. And the fact is, you know, if you're going to be in a long-term healthy relationship, ideally you do want to bring up the concept of if hypothetically, and there are couples who do this where they're monogamous for years upon years. And I have friends who do this where they've been married for 10, 15 years, and then they want to have sex with other people. They still love each other. They're still married. But, you know, when they want to play, they find partners. It's the swingers club stage of their life. (laughs) And that's fine. That's normal. And there's a number of people who are hesitant to cross those waters and say, well, what if I do want to say that I want to sleep with other people, but my partner may not be there? 
Well, sometimes people are at just different phases in the relationship and you just have to evaluate the relationship as a whole, I would say. But that said, you know, Wesley made an interesting point that there are people who just cheat not because they're not emotionally satisfied, but there are women who do it just because there's a specific need in their life that just ultimately isn't being filled. They have the kids, they have the hu- husband, they are happy with their lives, they're happy with their career. They're just not getting dicked enough. Yep. Just a reminder, gentlemen, we need dick. Or, you know, depending on it's some of us need. I'm just saying we need sex as a human need for most people. That's you know, it's it's not negotiable. Uh, And I mean, there are people like I know women who have cheated habitually because they need that new relationship energy. And it's and I feel like those are the ones that that are the habitual cheaters. And you see that with men and women. They need that new excitement. They can't keep being sexually excited without new stimulation, a new partner, this excitement about the unknown. And it's like that might be, you know, that what we picture as, you know, the, the picture of the woman cheater. But, you know, much more of the time, at least it seems like that from Wednesday's research from this book, it's it's more like people need sex. And of course, that includes women. There are actually studies that show that women who there is this concept where if a woman is in a happy long term relationship where she's cozy and comfortable, she's going to be sexually excited. Actually, turns out it's the opposite. It's when, yeah, surprisingly, it's when we're actually at that new dick phase that we're most excited. When we're in those happy monogamous relationships, what can happen is over a long period of time, our sex drive will go down. And it's because we're in, we're not with the shiny new toy anymore. The new relationship energy is gone. Exactly. Now, that said, there is also research that supports that couples that do new things together can help reinvigorate that spark. So, you know, taking my sex shop example or skydiving or just going out to a dance class or doing something new and interesting. Do something exciting and that feels and it can feel like you're back to dating again. Get that, you know, the type of things that gave you that new relationship energy to start with. Like I've seen people who have been the habitual cheaters like it's. I don't think she listens to this podcast, so I'm spilling tea on a friend. I, I had a girlfriend who, when I was in my mid twenties, I was uh, I was a I was in her wedding party. I will leave it there. And she said to me uh, at one point right after the wedding, Yvette, I just want to see you settle down. I was 25. I was just out of grad school. I'm like, it's not time for me to settle down with. She, uh, the marriage broke up within three years after she cheated three. I was sorry, six times. Three years. Three years. And it's like. It was in the third year, the new relationship energy went away. And this girl had cheated on almost, in almost every relationship she'd been in. And it's like, this is the type of person who every single time new relationship energy, it's not the sex. And you know what? Some people, it's the sex. Some people, it's a combination of everything. But you have to figure out what you want. If you're someone who always needs that new relationship energy, you maybe should have an open relationship. You should swing. You should do something that your partner knows and about. And you should be open and honest about it. And that's the most important part because that's how people get hurt. I mean, when you're not open and honest about your needs, then it, it doesn't help anyone at the end of the day. Now that said, Everybody, you know, there is something to be said about overcoming this jealousy factor. I This is something that I'd be curious to explore one day with an expert of why some people are yeah. jealous and why some people just don't have that at all. Uh, where does that stem from? It's, I have a theory that most people have at least some measure of jealousy and some people manage it better than others. Like I have friends who are poly and open 
And, you know, we've talked about who has, you know, what type of jealousy there is, how they manage it. And, you know, some people have said I'm emotionally jealous, but not sexually or vice versa. And you know what? Those are just a lot of communication things. And you really have to just explore your feelings. If those are things that you want to explore within your sex life and relationship, that's a lot of communication and a lot of, you know, really being open to, you know, what your head and your heart are going to do to you if your partner sleeps with someone else, if you sleep with someone else and knowing that you have to be open to the fact that it's going to, it could hurt you or your partner emotionally, even knowing that you've, you've said yes to doing this. And that's the hard part about it is jealousy is a fickle bitch. It is. Yeah. Jealousy is a fickle bitch. Where do we go from there? <laughs> it's jealousy is a fickle bitch. That was that was me attempting to be deep. But you know, it's for some people, they go into the relationships knowing they want it to be open, knowing like this is what they want. This is how they're happy. And it's just, it's not a thing. And I, you know what? There has to be someone who's written a book on this or has researched this deeply. That's the next person we have to hunt for. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, we have to get a guest on here who's done some deep research into the nature of jealousy uh, in open relationships. Yeah, definitely. It's something I want to explore a lot more just because it, it's so varying amongst different types of people. I would love to yeah. know where that stems from. For me, ultimately, and um, this, you know, not everybody is going to share my opinion on this um, because this is my opinion. Personally, I don't see cheating as a deal breaker. It's one of those things that it's if someone cheats on you, it's one part of a potentially bigger problem. It means, you know, whether it's emotionally, it's sexually, it's something is missing that that person is looking elsewhere for. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily a deal breaker. For me, at least, I'm saying this not to frame some of our listeners and have them yell at us later. I I guess this is the easiest way I can look at this. Because, I mean, I don't think I've ever been cheated on, or at least not in recent memory. Oh, wait, no, I've been cheated on once. Didn't work out, obviously, as it wasn't my husband who cheated. But, you know, I don't... uh, It's If you're with someone for 50 years and the relationship is wonderful, it's gone smoothly, and you find out, they tell you, look, 30 years ago, there was a one-night stand. Does that change your relationship? Does it change all the wonderful years, the memories, the things you've done together, all the other times they didn't cheat on you? And I get it. That one time is fucked up. But I think if you manage to, you know, not fail at monogamy, that giant percentage of the time you're together and fuck it up once, I think at least for me, that would probably be a forgivable offense. And I think people have to search within their hearts for that one, whether that's true for them or not. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Dan Savage, you know, yeah. calls his relationship with his partner monogamish. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's hard being one person for someone for next 40 years. Some people could absolutely do it, you yeah. know? Not everyone can. And it's that's a very high expectation to set on someone. I I like to think that this is, you know, my husband and I are going to be everything for each other forever. I just don't know. And I'm not going to say that, you know, the door is closed on it. But I'm also like, I like to think that I am open minded enough about my relationship with somebody who I trust and love this much that if we get to that point, we can talk about it. And I think that's that's why I married him, because I know that he's someone who I can talk about those feelings, both uh, emotionally and 
physically. Uh, and I, I think that's a sign of a healthy relationship. And I, I, I hope you, dear listeners, have that same thing in, in your lives and in your, your relationships. It's, it's important. So I think moral of this podcast is talk to your partners, communicate, be open, be honest about what you yes. want, embrace who you are. Yeah. Be honest with yourself. Exactly. Be honest with not only your partners, but be honest with yourself. And remember, it's okay if you're a horny fucker. It's okay if you're only a horny fucker occasionally. Your vagina or your dick is is just, oh, it is gosh darned okay. We like you the the fucker you are. That's, I think that's an okay place to, to, to wrap this up. We're going to bring Wednesday Martin back as soon as she'll agree to hang out with us again. She is right now just blowing up and yeah. going on going on to media rounds with her books. Oh, yeah. so, but she was she's, she's just amazing. Yeah. Please download her book. I mean, get it on your Kindle, get the paperback. She's fantastic. I want to bring her back after she's done the media rounds for a few months and she can tell us. Uh, what kind of you know pushback she's gotten, what kind of hate mail she's gotten. I think that's going to be a great conversation. I can't wait to talk to her again. I, w- I want to bring her out for drinks. This is, I, I, I just oh, think the, it's happening. Oh yeah, the tales she can tell are going to be awesome. So I, yeah, they think, well, she was dishing about sex clubs in her book. Uh, men, listen to the book. Yeah, get, get the book. I, 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 yeah, let's wrap this one up. Anyway, Alice, where can people find you? So people can find me on Twitter at Rational Blonde. And uh, Yvette, actually, we have some patrons to thank. And by the way, if you want to become a patron, interact with us, get updates on upcoming episodes, be able to contribute, get the conversation going with us, and get some awesome additional perks, you can go to patreon.com slash mic, where you could be like Brody and John, Brian, Ed Robbins, Paul Freeland, and a bunch of other people who are helping us actually make this podcast. So thank you for supporting us, guys. And Yvette, where can people find you? And you can find me at all the different places at cybabe.com and or uh, at Twitter and Instagram. That's where I post pictures of my dog and try to have 280 character adorableness. It's at the cybabe. So come hang out with us in other places on the internet. Come back here. Hang out with us again. Alice. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a five-star review. It helps our ratings. It helps Please. people find out about the show. Tell people about the show. And if you really like us, if you really, really like us, because some of you do, and we've charted a couple yeah. times on iTunes, like at one point we were number eight in all of comedy. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you, guys. Um, thank you. Thank you for hanging out shit. with us. Yeah, thank you. But if if you love us, yeah. uh, tell your Thank friends. Thank you, horny fuckers. We love you. <laughs> Give us a five-star rating. And if you really love us, throw money at us. I'd say pat yourselves on the back, but give yourselves a reach around. We love you guys. We will catch you guys next week. 